Morning everyone and welcome to Trinity, wherever you may be joining us from. It's great to have you. I hope you guys are doing okay. Um, we are continuing in our series in Proverbs. We're looking at six wires today. What is the proverb? What do Proverbs have to say about that? So let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Father God, <clears throat> thank you so much uh, for this morning. And Lord, I pray that um, as we look at your word now, as we hear what you have to say about this subject, I pray, Lord, that you would um, help us to hear your voice above all the other noise in the culture uh, on this subject. I pray that you would help us to hear it and to believe it. And we ask this for your glory. Amen. Um, the first sermon I ever gave in a church was on the subject of sex. I was doing, um, I was doing my apprenticeship in London and they obviously thought that this was a great subject for a guy in his 20s to be thinking about um, biblically. Um, and I remember telling a friend of mine who is not a Christian, a guy I used to work with, I said, look, I'm doing, a, I'm doing a, you know, my first talk on sex. And he said, what's your main point going to be? Don't. And that, I think, summed up his view of what the church and Christianity thought about sex. It's okay if you're making babies, but otherwise it's to be avoided at all costs. You know, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit sort of unspiritual and dirty almost, you know. Now, I don't know if people still think, I wonder whether your friends or uh, you yourself perhaps think that about Christians, their view of sex. Um, now, in case you're not sure, I need to tell you that there's nothing further from the truth. Uh, sex was God's idea, it was his invention. It's a beautiful thing. And what a lot of people don't realize is it's a beautiful thing uh, with a purpose. It does something. The purpose of sex is to unite a man and a woman together in marriage so they become essentially one flesh. And as that one flesh, they are better able to serve God in his world. They are, they are two pieces of, of paper uh, glued together and sex is the glue that does that. It, uh, sex also produces children, right? But primarily it produces one fleshness, a strong marriage, therefore, through which the couple serve God. Why are strong marriages important to God? Why is, why is sex important? Why has God put sex in marriage? Well, because human marriage is not just an earthly thing. Uh, it's not just a convenient way to sort of raise children or buy a house or it's just sort of the next thing someone feels they should do in their life. Human marriage is a window through which we see a bigger, deeper, more profound relationship. Uh, the relationship God wants with us. And we don't have to be married to look through that window. Anyone can look through that window. Um, because as we look at human marriage, we are seeing a God who has committed himself permanently, unconditionally, passionately to his people. A God who promises to stay with us no matter what. Whatever a husband promises his wife on his wedding day, God promises us in the gospel and more. Human marriage is a window through which we see that greater relationship. And that's why marriage is permanent. Right? You don't stop and start and then with someone else and then start, stop with them and start with someone else. And so God doesn't do that. If that was marriage, it wouldn't be a great picture of what God's do God does with us. It's unconditional. In other words, it's not determined on how in love you're feeling with the other person or how well, how well they perform as your spouse. God doesn't treat us that way wonderfully. So it wouldn't be a great picture if, if that's what marriage was. It's permanent, it's unconditional, or to use a Bible word, it's covenantal. Because wonderfully, that's how God deals with us, in a covenant. And this covenantal relationship 
is the context God has designed sex to be used. So think about it. Sex glues people together. You can't glue yourself to someone then tear yourself apart. Glue yourself to someone else. Tear yourself apart, glue yourself to someone else. It doesn't. It doesn't designed. It's not designed to work that way. The, the problem with sex is that it works. It joins people together physically, emotionally, mentally, and so it makes sense that it's only sex is only for that covenantal, permanent, unconditional relationship. Now, we, we are aware, I take it, that marriage, that picture of marriage and sex is not the predominant view of the world today, is it? The fall happened. Sin entered the world like ink in a glass of water. It reached and distorted every corner of our world, including sex. People don't use sex according to God's design. And, and so much hurt and mess follows on from this. Uh, perhaps think of it like a kettle. Uh, a kettle is designed to be used in a certain way, right? Um, what happens if I want to, it's, it's designed to be picked up by the handle because it's got boiling water in it. What, if, what if I decide I want to express my freedom uh, and I don't want to be told how to pick it up. I'm going to pick it up whatever way I want. I'm going to pick it up around the edges. Well, you're going to, you're going to burn yourself, aren't you? You're going to hurt yourself. In the same way, God says, I've got this great gift for you. Uh, it's going to stick two people together so that they'll serve me in a loving, permanent relationship. It's going to give the world a great picture of the relationship I want with the world. So you'll need to use it this way, according to its design. But the world says, no, I don't think so. I, I just want to be free, right? I just want to pick it up how I want. Uh, if it feels good, then sleep with whoever you want. Uh, you make up the design. And sadly, uh, it's not difficult to see the burn scar tissue um, that comes from that in the world. I expect we have some scars ourselves. Now, what Proverbs shows us is what it looks like when sex is not used according to God's design, the foolish approach to marriage and sex. And what the writer observes in the world is that adultery, that is sex, any sex outside of that covenant relationship, is the foolish approach to sex. He sees the mess it causes and he sees how it destroys people and he wants to warn his son um, through his writing. Now my guess is I, I'm speaking to several kinds of people. Uh, I'm speaking to those who have committed adultery, um, to those who have been hurt by someone else's adultery, either as a, parent, uh, as a spouse or a child. Uh, I'm speaking to those who are currently considering or have considered in the past committed, committing adultery and those who are not married, but maybe committing adultery in our minds through pornography or fantasizing um, or in our bodies as we sleep with someone else's future spouse. We're all sexual sinners in some way and wonderfully God's grace in Jesus covers that. There is no sexual sin for which there is not forgiveness in Jesus. I hope you, I hope you truly believe that. But here's the thing, because God loves you and doesn't want you to live foolishly and, and suffer the scar tissue that comes with that, he puts warnings in his word to help us keep living with the grain of God's world, to, to help us approach this subject sex wisely. Now he's going to show us in the Proverbs the stages of adultery, so we see it coming, the consequences of adultery, so we don't even go there, and then some ways to protect ourselves against adultery. The first point for us this morning is very long, and the other two are shorter ones. So recognize, firstly, the stages of adultery. 
Now, strangely enough, the writer says uh, adultery starts in the ears. Uh, in other words, who you listen to most. There are three sections on adultery in Proverbs 5, chapters 5, 6, and 7, and they all start the same way, interestingly. And by the way, don't be distracted by the gender-specific language. This is a father writing to his son, warning against a certain kind of woman. You could easily flip that gender to, to be uh, you know, writing to, to a woman or a girl, warning about certain kinds of men. So it, 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 need, it needs to be flipped uh, gender-wise, if, if that applies to you. So chapter 5, verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Why? For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. So he's got his father's advice and wisdom in one ear, which I take it includes um, truth about God and his law and the Bible. And he's got the sweet and seductive oily words of the woman in his other ear same in chapter 6 look my son verse 20 keep your father's command do not forsake your mother's teaching bind them always on your heart fasten them around your neck when you walk they will guide you when you sleep they will watch over you when you awake they will speak to you for this command is a lamp this teaching is a light and correction and instruction are the way to life keeping you from your neighbor's wife, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Again, his parents teaching in his one ear truth about God and his design for sex and marriage and the smooth talk of the wayward woman in the other ear. And this time his, his parents teaching has a kind of protective element. Did you see that, verse 24? Their teaching keeps him from his neighbor's wife. Chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep my commands and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. Again, the father's command in one ear, the woman's seductive words in the other. So the writers observed that those who keep wisdom, the fear of the Lord, uh, the fact that it's, it's his world and he knows better how to do life than me, the truth that marriage is a picture of God's relationship with us, that is, sex is to bring a couple into one fleshness, those who keep all of that close to their hearts, says the writer, who stay close to that wisdom as they do to a sister, those people tend to keep themselves from adultery. So interesting, isn't it? Adultery begins with your ears. Begins with your ears. Who are you listening to most of all? Who are you allowing to shape what you think about sex and marriage? We may have an an actual, you know, literal seductive man or woman, a colleague or a friend, perhaps in our ear saying, "It's fine. It's no big deal." You know, the heart wants what the heart wants. Just come. Nobody will know. Let's enjoy ourselves. So that's possible. The likelihood is, though, that we have Netflix, the voice of Netflix, of YouTube, of TED Talks, of magazines, of the friends, family, the culture around us in our ears telling us, it's okay, just pick up the kettle how you want. It's, it's totally fine. Just make sure you get consent, sleep with whoever. Or it's okay, you've fallen out of love with your spouse. These things happen. You only live once. 
What is going to keep you from having an affair? Well, according to the writer, is getting up very early in the morning, not very, getting up early in the morning and listening to God's voice in the Bible, making sure that God's voice in the Bible, the truth about sex and marriage, and the Jesus, the cosmic element of marriage, is louder in your ear than, than the world, the culture around us. If you only listen to the world, you're leaving yourself open. It starts with the ears. The next stage, the mind and the heart. Before adultery happens in the body, it's already happened in the mind and the heart, hasn't it? Verse, chapter 6, verse 25 says, Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her ears. Remember to flip the gender when necessary. Lust is wanting what you haven't been given. And the writer's saying, don't dwell on her in your heart. Don't look him up on Facebook. Don't go to her Instagram page every day. Don't deliberately fantasize about him. Don't get captivated by someone you haven't been given. But surely it can't hurt to look. I mean, really, what's, what's the harm in that? Well, Jesus said, whoever looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's saying it's effectively the same thing. The heart is where it starts. The problem with the heart, of course, is that no one can see what, go, what goes on in there. And we may be really thankful that that's the case. Only you know what's going on in your heart. And one of the reasons we, we started Gospel Triplets at Trinity is, is to be able to be comfortable enough with a couple of other guys or girls to be able to open up the heart. Um, and without fear of judgment, say, you know what, actually, please pray for me. Um, this one girl at work is becoming a bit of a problem. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about her way too much. And to ask, just ask each other the awkward questions. You know, once in a while, not every week, who are you discovering you're attracted to? You know, even the name of, act, sorry, even the act of naming that person uh, takes away the power of it somewhat. It stops sin at this stage. The ears, the mind and the heart, the feet. Thinking turns to behavior. So Solomon, the writer, <clears throat> is looking out of his window and he's really watching a, an adultery in progress. Chapter 7, verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. A fool. Right? An idiot. Why? He was going down the street near her corner walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading as the dark of night set in. Thinking turns to behavior. Your feet will always end up where your heart and mind have, have already been. And every step is a choice. Step, 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 going to her corner. Step, step, going to her house. Um, just popping in to buy something where she works. Bit of eye contact. Deliberately going to the gym at the same time he does. Taking lunch at the same time she takes lunch. Always sitting at the same table. Staying deliberately late so you can offer a lift home. In fact, why don't we just carpool? It makes sense in a way because we can talk about work, we can save money. It's very pragmatic. Your feet will take you where your heart has been. Uh, you may remember Solomon himself was a, was a product of an adulterous relationship. His father, David, 
took another man's wife and slept with her. He had her husband killed to cover it up. And then tragically, they lost the child, which was the result of that relationship. And Solomon came after. And there's a small detail in the beginning of that narrative, and you can read about it in 2 Samuel, uh, that says, in the spring, when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. And David wasn't where he was supposed to be. And I, I wonder if that's not a good question to ask ourselves. Am I where I am supposed to be right now? You know, something doesn't feel quite right. Am I where I'm supposed to be? David wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be at war with the king, like other kings. But in fact, he was on his rooftop watching Bathsheba have a bath. I'm supposed to be meeting someone for coffee, and yet here I am still at the gym. I'm, I'm supposed to be at home bathing the kids, and yet here I am. I'm supposed to be studying, but I'm here. I'm supposed to be at home, but I'm in his car. If it feels icky or exciting, be careful. Um, if it feels, if you, if you have to lie about where you've been, be very careful. Be careful about where your feet take you. But again, you might say, well, that's, you know, I haven't done anything wrong, actually. You know, no, nothing's happened. Um, the story is told of a ship owner who was advertising for a captain for his yacht and um, he took uh, adverts, he, he interviewed three candidates. The first one um, took, took, the, took the helm and took the yacht uh, with great skill, uh, close to the rocks, around the cliff, as fast as he could, and then back again. Uh, the second one came on, he took the helm, and he, he, with even greater skill, unbelievably narrow margins, he, he steered the ship so close to the rocks with such impressive speed. Uh, the third guy came on and he very slowly took the ship far out to sea, leisurely took it round in a circle and brought it back. Which one got the job? Well, the third guy. The yacht, the yacht owner didn't want his ship broken on the, on the rocks. Um, it's not about how close you can get to the rocks of sexual sin without actually shipwrecking yourself. It's, it's not how close you can get to sin before actually sinning. The youth with no sense went down the street to her corner, to her house. The wise person sails as far away from danger as possible. He won't take a lift with a woman on his own. Uh, he'll be careful about conversations with the opposite sex. Uh, she'll be conscious of not flirting uh, or giving the wrong impression. I remember a few years ago, Mike Pence being um, ridiculed, really, for his rule of not eating uh, with a woman who's not his wife. And, um, yeah, it was, it was his integrity and in that, that that people found very funny. But there's, there's sense in it, in the words of Enya, Sail away, sail away, sail away, right? The ears, the mind, the heart, the feet. And now comes the encounter. Verse 10 of chapter 7. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. 
like David. She's not where she's supposed to be. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks, she took hold of him and kissed him. So she comes out to meet him, and perhaps they're aware of each other, perhaps they know each other in some way, and she's, she's saying something to him in the way that she's dressed. She is expressing her availability to him in what she's wearing. We're told she has crafty intent. Her intention is to get this married guy into bed. And there's excitement, right? She doesn't treat him like his wife treats him. His wife is tired from dealing with the kids. Sometimes she keeps him at a distance because she feels unloved. But this woman, this woman is exciting. She took hold of him and kissed him. And then she speaks, and then her words, are, her words are even more seductive than her touch. Verse 14, Today I fulfilled my vows. I have food from my fellowship offering at home. could be a Canaanite thing or an Israelite thing. Some kind of sacrifice they would be required to eat uh, within a given time. Either way, she knows the root to a man's heart, right? I have food at home. And, and the encounter promises him three things. It promises him acceptance and, and attention. So verse 15, look, so I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. Now he just makes me feel so special. My husband just works the whole time, but this guy sees me and he, and he, even, he, he even looks for me. You know, the, the need to be wanted and accepted and admired is something we all have. And if you're not doing well with Jesus or with your spouse, there's nothing more intoxicating than someone from the opposite sex who pays you lots of attention, who admires you, who thinks you're great. Perhaps the guy at work who says things your dad never said to you or things your husband or wife have stopped saying to you. She promises acceptance and attention. Secondly, the encounter promises pleasure. Verse 16 I've covered my bed with colored linens, colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. You have to sort of translate the cultural descriptions there. Cinnamon in my bed would, would, not be, uh, would really put me off. But, but she's painting a picture of pleasure. She's saying, I've got champagne on ice, the jacuzzi's on the go. Let's just let loose and enjoy ourselves. And did you notice verse 18? Let's drink deeply of love. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. Um, it's not love though, is it? It's sexual immorality pretending to be love. As one writer put it, they're not making love, they're faking love. And thirdly, the encounter promises no consequences. Verse 19, my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. My husband's away on a business trip. He won't be back till Monday. No one, ever, no one will ever know. It's just between me and you. No strings attached. It's the promise that you'll get away with it. It's the same promise that the serpent used in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? You will not surely die. There's, there's no accountability or, or punishment for this. The encounter promises attention, pleasure and no consequences so the writers observed there are stages to adultery it doesn't just suddenly happen it's worth thinking about um, whether those stages are, are familiar to you perhaps you've stopped listening to God's voice of wisdom in the Bible particularly in this area of sex you're just listening to the culture perhaps your mind and heart 
has been, have been captivated by someone who is not your spouse. You think about them often, you look them up on social media. Or perhaps your feet have taken you towards them. Maybe you've started messaging on social media or you've contrived time spent, uh, to spend time with them. Maybe you're, you're secretly on a dating app, whatever it may be. Or you've had an encounter and believed the promises of acceptance of, of, of pleasure with no consequence. I wonder if any of those stages sound familiar. Even if they don't right now, let's recognize the stages of adultery. Of course, the promise of no consequence is false, isn't it? Uh, as you may know from painful experience, there is a world of consequence when it comes to adultery. The second thing, uh, more briefly, remember the consequences of adultery. Listen to how the, the writer puts it. So after this encounter, verse 21, with persuasive words she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. It's hectic, isn't it? Adultery destroys lives, leads to death, he says. And if not repented of, it leads to eternal death. It's cause and effect. Chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? No, I mean, if you pick up your Weber Bry and pour it into your lap, you're going to get burned. Can a man walk on hot coals, verse 28, without his feet being scorched? No. 29, so is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. <clears throat> There's no such thing as no consequence adultery. No one will go unpunished. That probably refers to standing before God at the end of your life, unrepentant and unforgiven. Remember how important marriage and sex are to God. You've smashed the window. Right? You've, you've broken the promise you made to God. I will love her and keep her, forsaking all others. You promised that and you broke that promise. God says no one will go unpunished. I'm all about keeping promise. I'm all about faithfulness. That's the kind of God I am. But of course, you don't have to wait till the, rate, till the day of judgment to reap what you sow. 6 verse 32, very striking verse. A man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Remember to flip the gender. And here's the problem with adultery. You don't just destroy yourself. It's like throwing a rock into, a, into a, a lake. All the ripples go outwards, don't they? There's the victim's spouse whose life will never be the same again. The children who will be affected forever. Their schooling, their future relationships perhaps. There's divorce. There may be unwanted children from the adultery who may grow up suspecting that they were unwanted. There may be disease. If there are Christians involved, there would be shame poured on the name of Jesus. And sadly, I have way too many stories of friends in ministry who have blown their ministry and their families up through an affair. One friend was a, a married 
children's worker and he committed adultery with one of the single mums, blew his ministry, but also his eternity as he walked away from the faith. Uh, Ray Galea is a pastor in Australia, in Sydney. He says, he says this to the, his guys when, when they're, when, he says, when you're, com- when you're considering adultery, he says, just picture having to tell your children, sit, sitting them down and telling them why mummy and daddy don't live together because of a stupid decision that daddy or mummy made. Picture that moment with your kids, he says. It's not that sexy, is it? Um, Think about the ripples of destruction in your life. All for what? For a few moments of physical pleasure. Does that seem worth it to you? It's not worth it. That's why it's foolish. Remember what I said? God loves you so much that he wants to scare us with the consequences of adultery. Be afraid. Um, I grew up going to a a Baptist church in London and the assistant minister of that church while we were there had an affair with one of the musicians. Uh, Both were married with three kids each. Um, Didn't happen overnight. They were both in the same music band. Uh, perhaps they enjoyed talking with each other perhaps they began to notice each other more and more perhaps they were in each other's heads the rest of the week perhaps they met to discuss the music band perhaps he gave her lifts home after practice maybe they hugged goodbye and then maybe they kissed Uh, and he was the minister so maybe it wasn't so bad after all you know you can see the stages happening what if they'd recognized the stages in time what if they'd seen it coming well, they didn't, and in fact, the, the musician's husband found out, and he went to the, to the minister's house and punched him in the face, and, um, which I, I'm not sure is a completely ungodly thing to do, but anyway, the press got hold of it and published the story in the local paper. It was all over. The whole church suffered. The children suffered. Everyone suffered. One moment of pleasure, ripples of destruction. Remember the consequences of adultery. Thirdly, protect yourself against adultery. Now, in one sense, the fear of the consequences is is a form of protection in itself, isn't it? But fear is never the best protection. We need to be proactive. We need to be on the front foot. There are two relationships to nourish in order to protect ourselves from adultery. One is the relationship with our own spouse, if we have one. Chapter 5, verse 15 says this. It says, drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why my son be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? He says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Delight in the one you made promises to however many years ago. Nurture your affections for that one. Um, Your bodies will not be the same as they were when you got married. But covenant love and sex, for that matter, do not depend on physical beauty. Don't listen to the world when they say that that's true. They depend on deep relational, emotional, spiritual connection and love and trust and security and covenant. So date your spouse. 
Don't take each other for granted. Um, I think it was Paul Tripp who says, be dedicated students of your spouse's good. And if we're not married, respect and guard other people's marriages. If you work with a married person, do your best to, um, to get to know the, 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 the colleague's spouse. Uh, bring them into conversation. If you notice any flirting, put a stop to it. The second relationship for all of us in marriage is, the co- is with the covenant God who loves you. Not just listening to his wisdom, but to know and love the God behind that wisdom. Do you remember 6 verse 25? Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. The best way to protect yourself against adultery is to be captivated by another beauty. Is to be so taken up with God's beauty that all others become unattractive in comparison. What does that mean? It means look through that window. Don't just focus on the glass of marriage. Look through it and see a God who made you and who loves you like a perfect spouse. Permanently. If you're in, if you're in Christ, there's nothing you, could, you did to cause God to love you. And therefore, there is nothing you can do to cause, to cause God to stop loving you. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. Um, he loves you permanently. He loves you unconditionally. Whatever mistakes you have made in the past. Maybe you've had an adulterous relationship. Maybe you've had an adulterous relationship in your mind. If you've repented, that's gone. That's forgiven. There may be scar tissue, but God knows everything and he loves you enough uh, to die for you. Isn't that beautiful? If you've been hurt by someone else's adultery, Know that Jesus is the loving spouse you didn't have. He sees everything you've been through and he feels your pain. And one day the pain will be gone. One day we will realize that heaven, the new creation, is better than sex. That being with God forever in his new creation is better than any moment of pleasure on earth. And what is more, until that day, God has put a spirit in you to make sure you get there, to help you fight sin, to keep temptation away, to help you hear God's wisdom louder than the world. If you're on the path to an adulterous relationship now, and you know it, hear the spirit this morning and stop it. Talk to someone, chat to me, email me, whatever. Um, Protect yourself by finding God more beautiful than anything than anyone. Recognize the stages of adultery, remember the consequences, and protect yourself against it. Nourish your relationship with your spouse, if you have one, and and nourish your relationship with the God who loves you. Let's pray together. Father God, your word tells us that um, you, you hate adultery, you hate broken covenants, And that's because you are a faithful, loving God. You love us permanently and unconditionally in Jesus. And we thank you so much for that. Help us to find that, to find that intoxicating, to to dwell on that, to grow into that, and and to not listen to the world when it comes to sex, to rather uh, listen to your word and to and to recognise the stages of adultery that may be creeping into our own hearts and lives uh, to remember the consequences but also to to love you most 
and to protect ourselves in that way. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that one day we will stand before you perfect as a bride, radiant, wedding, ready for the wedding feast. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us. See you again.